0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Brunelli. That's Danny Canale. I'm Chip Patterson. Coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3. Also live across multiple Facebook channels. Thanks to all of you that are checking in. Smash that like button for me. Come on. Get up there and smash it. Uh, It's a great way to be able to show your appreciation for the show and for us to spread the show all across the ecosystem. We got a lot to get to today, including a question that's come up a few times in the mailbag and so we wanted to bring it together into one conversation with Nick Saban uh continuing as the Alabama head football coach, and you know we got some you know kind of a basketball tie to this. Mike Shashevsky will be concluding his career as the Duke men's basketball coach. Whenever Duke loses in the NCAA tournament, uh, Mike Shishovsky, in in my eyes, and arguably one of the greatest of all time. Uh, Nick Saban, in my eyes, and arguably one of the greatest of all time. So, Coach K is about to retire. What's going to happen to Duke? What's going to happen to college basketball? We'll do a little thought experiment about what are going to be the implications both at Alabama across the SEC and the rest of the country in the event that Nick Saban does retire. Uh, but first we've got some other uh, transfer portal talk that we want to be able to get to. And I mean, I, I, I got to ask, like we, we got our bracket challenge entries in, right? Yes. Everybody's, everybody's submitted. Everybody's good because we want you to come and compete against us in the cover three bracket challenge. If you go to cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. Again, that is cbsports.com slash cover three brackets. Then you can compete against Danny, against Tom. I hope against Bud. We might need to like send a smoke signal out to him somewhere make sure he gets his entry in. But if you win, you win a $100 Paramount Plus gift card. If you win, we might even let you on the show at a minimum. We will let you set uh, the agenda for a big old bag of mail episode. Uh, we, we reserve the right to make any, any final edits on that one. But I will say that my, uh, my picks right now are not fantastic. I had Wyoming plus the points on, uh, on Sportsline. It did not cash. did not cash, Tom. You and I were on that. I was a Twitter yeah. today. And uh, you know what my new theory is? They're using a weird ball. I don't
2: know. Is it a brighter? It's like neon it's like orange. orange.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think we got to go bad ball unders. Ooh. Weird ball unders. I mean it's it looks like the kind of ball where like the needle broke off when you were pumping it up and so it's got a little rattle into it. <laughs> looks like it probably has one of those little uh humps or like we you know the little bumps in the ball. I I think we could be seeing some real clunky basketball until they get used to shooting with this thing.
1: it was It was weird because one of the reasons I was on Wyoming last night was like on the season, they were one of the better teams in the country as far as not turning the ball over. Like, they didn't, they didn't turn the ball over. Indiana plays really good defense, but it's not the kind of defense where they're forcing you to turn over. So I was like, okay, with their size, their rebounding, their ability to get to the free throw line, their ability not to turn the ball over. Wyoming's going to stick around in this game and make it close. And then Wyoming turned the ball over 18 times. So clearly, there's something wrong with the basketball because how else would that happen?
2: It uh, looks like I got, for Christmas, my parents got my girls a basketball that glows at night. But, like, during the daytime, it looks like a weird neon orange. I think that's the ball they're using. Maybe there's a new deal with that company.
1: Maybe that's what they're using. Like, the last four minutes of each half, they're going to turn the lights in the (laughs) arena off. That would be so much fun, though. I would watch. (laughs) That means we got to
0: take Arkansas because Arkansas does that thing where they turn off all the lights in Bud Walton Arena after big wins. They are more used to playing in the dark. That's your new edge here, but I, I, I will be eyeing, especially as we look ahead to Thursday and Friday as these teams, they're going to get their first, you know, first hands on it today for Thursday games, Thursday for Friday games. I, I don't think that's enough time to get used to uh, the weird ball unders. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll continue to eye that all along the way. Again, cbssports.com slash cover three brackets, come and compete against us. We appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to our battles. All right, let's start with some transfer portal talk because we mentioned, actually, Tom had it as a little bit of a breaking news, Pete Thamel on the initial reporting about where former Georgia and USC quarterback JT Daniels might be looking. Uh, He recently had a trip to Oregon State, according to John Canzano of the Oregonian. It, it, quote, went well by all accounts. We mentioned Jonathan Smith also as that was in there. The way that I'm looking at it right now is, and correct me if, if you guys see this differently, Oregon State, as we just mentioned, he has visited. Other schools in the running include West Virginia, Missouri, Oklahoma State, and Colorado. If there's another one out there that you all have on your list, absolutely interested in, in it. But with JT Daniels being one of the biggest names uncommitted in the transfer portal, where do we think is going to be the best fit for him?
1: Well, one quick correction. John Gonzano is no longer with the Oregonian.
0: Is he the athletic?
1: No, he's on his own now. He started his own letter, the bald-faced truth. Uh, and if you care about the Pacific Northwest or the Pac-12 in general, as far as the sports scene, that's something you probably want to get in touch with because John Canzano's great at it. Um,
0: I mean, he's one of the alphas, right? He's, like, yeah. he's one of those. I wait until Canzano's got a report on it to be able to really start feeling like uh, I, that is a confident play for me to talk about it here on the cover three podcast or elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I feel like him and John Wilner are probably the two most like, important pac 12 kind of follows you can have as far as what's going on in that conference but we're getting off topic um jt daniels you mentioned the list that Kanzano reported there's there's oregon state which we talked about the colorado oklahoma state mizzou west virginia if i'm a quarterback and i'm jt daniels and i was highly rooted rated out of high school but i've had problems staying healthy this is going to be my third school more important to me than the program or competing for a national title right now is preparing myself for the NFL as best as possible, which means I'm probably going to look for an offense that is more quarterback friendly and a coach that I feel like would do a better job of developing me in that. So just looking at those options, I, I, I'm not going to Colorado. I, you know, I, I love the school. I love the Buffs, but that's not a top option for me if I'm JT Daniels. I'm probably not going to West Virginia just because Neil Brown's done some stuff, but I haven't really seen any evidence of that at West Virginia to this point. Mizzou, I think, is interesting. It's just maybe I want to get out of the SEC. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Especially if health is a concern.
1: yeah. So I, I think Oregon State and Oklahoma State are probably the best two options if I'm JT Daniels, just looking at what Jonathan Smith has done with some pretty ordinary QBs there since taking over in that offense kind of numbers. And then you look at Mike Gundy, and I know the last few years with Spencer Sanders, that's been a defensive first program. But if you go to what Mike Gundy's Oklahoma State teams were originally, just kind of like air raid offenses, it throwing the ball all over the field, I feel like that would be a better fit. So if I'm JT Daniels, I'm looking at Oregon State and Oklahoma State as my two favorites.
2: I like the way you whittled those down. Uh, I think JT well, let me ask you guys this. How many more games do you think JT Daniels starts in college? Like just in the rest of his career? I mean, I put it at like five and a half. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I just, I don't like, think about where he's been at these incredible programs. And you can eliminate USC because they were down, but he was at Georgia and couldn't keep a job. With Stetson Bennett, who we've caught some heat from Georgia fans, especially Bud, by saying, Look how many other SEC quarterbacks would have won championships with him. So, and whether it's health or whether it's, you know, inability to just succeed at your position, he was at the best place where they didn't ask you to do a whole lot. All you had to do was kind of steer the ship. And he had moments, but he couldn't keep the job. I don't know. I would maybe five and a half is too low, but. I'll be shocked if he goes somewhere and just crushes it. I mean, I think we've seen what you get out of JT Daniels, and we got some pretty good – there was flashes of – I don't even know brilliance is like a strong term. But we saw he could could throw the ball vertically down the field those last uh, four or five games last season. We saw the beginning of this year. But that was in a great system with all this NFL talent around him. I think he needs that. So, like, if you're asking me which one of these makes the most sense, I would say Oklahoma State, especially, like, they're a team you could still compete. Maybe, maybe he's a backup there, and you kind of hope Spencer Sanders. You know, if he, not hope, but if he gets hurt, you're ready to go. I just, I don't know. I, I don't see JT Daniels having a resurgence, and all of a sudden he's a name we're talking about in the NFL draft. I just think we've seen JT Daniels, and we know what we're getting, and it's okay, but it's not anything that's going to blow you away. Has
0: um would if you're Spencer Sanders, do you think your job would be in jeopardy if JT
2: Daniels shows up? You would be nervous of like it'd be one of those one here's where I've been in this position whether it was in college or the NFL and a new guy rolls up. You know, you're like, "All right, who is this guy?" Let's see. Oh, he's a five-star. Man, you're a little bit on your toes. Like definitely, you're going to feel that pressure somewhat and you're going to have to perform better, but I think Spencer Sanders has kind of established himself as a multi-year starter who had a pretty nice season last year and you know a couple inches away from a Big 12 championship. Hey, this is my team still. He's not taking it away from me. And maybe some things in practice would impress and be like, "Uh-oh, I better perform," but I wouldn't be scared. I think it kind of it gets your antennas up and it brings out that competitive nature out of you, which could be a good thing. But all yeah. these All these top, especially Oklahoma State, they've got good quarterbacks on depth charts. Like you're not just you're not just coasting to the starting job. You kind of feel like you have to own it every year and compete every year. But I wouldn't say Spencer Sanders would be feeling the heat. I think he would just be like, Okay, I mean I can't slip up, which should be your mentality anyway.
0: More mobility than JT Daniels. Yeah. It was you know, and I think JT Daniels, though I have not watched him throw down the field against live competition in a while, but Probably if if probably a better downfield passer than Spencer Sanders. It's yeah, if I was if I was Mike Gundy, I would love to have the two of them and be able to know that I've got a lot of different ways that I can formulate this offense in a lot of different ways that you know, should one get dinged or should one have poor performance, we also have another option there. But I, I don't know if JT Daniels wants to potentially be on a rope a dope type
1: system. Yeah, that's why I think it's ultimately going to end up being Oregon State, because I think that that has a West
2: Coast guy, too.
1: Yeah, that's got a lot of things, I think, working in their favor, like with Jonathan Smith, the former quarterback in a quarterback friendly offense. I don't think there's much as much of an impediment to the starting job there as there would be at Oklahoma State, because even though JT Daniels has two seasons of eligibility left, so it's possible he could go to Oklahoma State be the backup this year and then think he's going into next season or 2024 or whatever as the, you know, number one on the depth chart. I don't know if he wants to do that because I also feel like if JT Daniels, wherever he ends up, if he stays healthy and he has a good year, he's probably gone. Like he's been in this, He's been in college for a while. I feel like his original plan had hoped to have been healthy for this year play well at Georgia and enter this NFL draft, which is not the greatest class as far as the quarterbacks are concerned, because he probably would have been a higher pick. Whereas when he enters next year, he's going to have Bryce Young and other guys to deal with. But I, I think Oregon State just makes a lot of sense for JT Daniels, even though it might come as a surprise considering, you know, what he was rated out of high school, where he's played so far in his career, and what you would think of where he would end up in Oregon State. It's not really considered to be like a top pack 12 program, but I think, I just think looking at those options, if I'm JT Daniels, and, I, and this is just based on not talking to the coaches, not visiting the campuses, none of that stuff. I just think football-wise, Oregon State makes the most sense.
0: Are are we too sheepish for uh, agreeing that going to Missouri in the same division would not be advantageous to either your health or your tape moving forward?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think – it's not so much that if you if you're good if you're if you're trying to get to the NFL like you better be able to perform well against SEC teams so I I don't think that factor comes into play I think it's just I don't like the Mizzou quarterback situation I don't think is as wide open as you know Oregon State's is right now and I just think that track record I think that while Eli's done a great job so far there with like recruiting and his offenses when he was at app state and then coming to mizzou in his first season there i just think that it's a lot i don't know it's more complicated there i think and it's not it's it's a combination of a whole lot of things like you mentioned the competition all that stuff factors in i think you could go to oregon state and probably put up good numbers
0: i know i feel like i'm I'm telling people to go to the cheat code it's like hey you could compete against nfl competition this year Or you could compete against less competition and have a better chance of making it to the NFL, where then eventually you will have to compete against NFL competition if you want to be able to stay in the league and be successful. It's a very strange proposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, One other transfer portal thought here. So uh, Ulysses Bentley or Ulysses Bentley the fourth fourth. uh, officially entered his name into the transfer portal. You will remember him because he was a a big piece over the last two years of that SMU offense. Um, You know, under Sonny Dykes, we saw that be a great place for him. Reggie Roberson at the wide receiver position. The entire offense was very explosive. Bentley was a big part of it. So he enters in his name into the transfer portal, you know, like a, 1,500-yard rusher, 5.7 yards per carry kind of guy. I find it significant because it comes just a few weeks after we've got reporting from 24-7 Sports, particularly from uh, both Chris Hummer and Steve Wiltfong, that Kamar Wheaton, one of the top uncommitted players in the transfer portal, uh, might be a potential candidate to land at SMU. So if you're ulysses bentley and you think that ret lashley and the new coaching staff might be bringing in a former five-star prospect transfer from alabama maybe that's what triggers this and i thought about putting us in the position of the smu staff because on one hand you have a proven commodity in ulysses bentley i i view him as a plus level running back one of the better running backs in the american athletic conference he has proven it however He does not have that same NFL projection that Kamar Wheaton, again, a former five-star prospect, somebody who was the number 3 running back in the 2021 recruiting class, and according to 24-7 Sports Gabe Brooks, his comp was Ronald Jones with the projection of being a second or third round pick. So you've got a a high ceiling with Kamar Wheaton. You've got something that you know with Ulysses Bentley. There's no right or wrong answer here, but i I think it's an interesting way to look at what these coaching staffs are having to do with the transfer portal. W- would you rather ditch someone on the roster or risk losing someone on the roster that you know can be very productive uh, and exchange that for that high ceiling player that, you know, maybe didn't make the rotation at Alabama, but you do know based on the raw tools, could end up being an NFL player and maybe, you know, one of the the keys to your offense.
1: I think it depends on the situation like and the position. There's a whole lot of things you have to factor in. I think for a running back, if I'm Rhett Lashley, like I know Bentley's a good player because we've seen the numbers he did for Dykes, but Bentley's never played for me. So I know just as much about him as I do Kamar Wheaton. And I don't know what Kamar Wheaton's recruitment was out of high school. Maybe Miami was involved in that, so maybe Lashley has... More of a relationship with him based on recruiting him than he does with Bentley. So maybe that makes Wheaton, you know, more attractive. But I think ideally he would have rather had both. But I think just as far as the kind of ceiling versus known argument at running back, give me the ceiling. Mm. Because, like, you can find a running back. It's not hard to find a serviceable guy who will fit in your offense that can carry the ball and put up the numbers. There's plenty of them, those guys, especially, you know, at SMU when you're in Texas in that area. You could just throw a rock and you'll find a running back somewhere near your campus that you could probably convince to come to your school. But Wheaton, I think, is, like you said, like Gabe Brooks and his evaluations of him is a prospect out of high school. He's a five-star, but he's also somebody, Brooks, said has, like, the first, you know, Three round potential the NFL draft. He ran a 10 6, 100 yard dash in high school, you know, timed, confirmed officials. The kid's got speed. He's bigger than Bentley. So I think that if you're a new coach coming into SMU and you're trying to kind of fire up the fan base, landing a five star running back who is not like, you know, a failure in his third season who never saw the field, like Nick Saban said last year. Wheaton tore, I think it was meniscus, mm-hmm. and Saban was saying, he's like, no, that's a guy who we wish we had because we think he could really help our offense this year if he was healthy and able to play. So it's not like he's some sort of guy who hasn't lived up to the hype. He's just a guy who got injured and never saw the field and now is maybe wants to return closer to home and be a featured guy. So Right, I think he's if from
0: Texas. I, th- I think that's another part of this. Like that You definitely have to take into consideration.
1: Yeah, so as far as like exciting the fan base, here comes the five-star running back. That makes everybody happy.
2: Yeah, I think, Tom, you said a lot of things there I agree with because I think it is very situational, like every single player. I think it's positional. I think the fact that it's a running back has a lot to do with it mm-hmm. because if Wheaton doesn't work out, you're probably not that much of a drop-off from another guy on your roster already. Um, if he does work out and there still is that upside potential, then maybe you have a home run type situation. It could lead the nation in rushing rushing, or something like along those lines. Um I think it is easier because at the NFL level, I'm always in favor. I'm more of the less need, like bleep them picks, you know, like which was his motto as he's building up the Rams Super Bowl roster. Like, are you kidding me? Why would I care about a first or a second round pick when I know exactly what I'm gonna get? A Pro Bowl player and a quarterback like Matthew Stafford or a MVP Super Bowl MVP like Von Miller. Who cares about these draft picks, which are a 50 50 proposition a lot of times? Give me the known commodity. So I think at the NFL level, it's a little bit more of a, I'm a, of a stronger take from me on that one. Like, hey, I want to know what I'm getting. I'll get the known commodity, like the upside of a first rounder. There's way too much unknown there. But at the college level, I do think it's a little bit different. And this would be a, 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 an interesting conversation that we're having where I wouldn't be that worried about, especially at a running back. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd go ahead and take the swing and say, all right, you know, if you had that opportunity and I, but I do think it's interesting. And I was like, you guys saying he's from Texas, I think is huge. What, cause I did, you know, I was looking up like Oklahoma was out. There was a couple other programs that were after him. Did they not offer? Did he not go? Did he want to be in Texas? Like some of his decision-making, because I do wonder kind of what the word is on the street from some of the coaches health wise. Why obviously if you're at Bama, complete, like, hey, just be playing time. You're stacked. Mm -hmm. You're playing behind first-round potential, five stars. You know, sure, you don't work there. You go somewhere else. But why the drop all the way to SMU? And it's not a knock against SMU's program, but I bet he had other options. If he was as good as he'd to be coming out, maybe it's as simple as he wanted to be close to home.
0: And this is, again, just like SMU is in the running, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing that, uh, okay. Uh, So I find out on February 22nd, by 24-7 sports, that SMU might be in the running for one of the top prospects. I'm like, oh my goodness. Then we've, we see the Texas connection. We start to piece that together. Then this week, the Ulysses-Bentley. I mean, running back, you can have a lot of them, but that also is, uh, seems to me to have all the smells of the time-honored tradition of a coach going to a player and being like, hey, I just want to let you know that we think we're going to be doing this and if you want to go somewhere else, now's going to be the time. There's a deadline in May where you have to transfer in order to be eligible for the fall. And so, I mean, is it, isn't that the, the same thing that we've seen so many times all throughout college football, especially now with the freedom of movement that you do, mm-hmm. some coaches will uh, give that opportunity to the player? Because that's kind of, it, we could see Kamar Wheaton go somewhere else, but I, I tend to think that the, this is where the, uh, the dominoes seem to be falling.
1: Yeah, and there's another there's another perspective to this too that we haven't really considered. Like Bentley was a good player at SMU. but he's not I he's he's not a big guy. So I don't know if he's like a bell cow back at a power five school, but somebody might have come sniffing around Bentley. Oh Like there might be a power five program that's like, hey, do you want to come play here? Maybe, you know, you can improve your NFL draft stock playing in our offense better than you could in SMU or something. So there's going to be options available for him if he doesn't already kind of have a destination in mind. And I think that he's a guy who, like I said, some power five schools, he's not going to be the 2025 carry a game guy. But he's a guy who could fit into a lot of power five offenses and put up some really good numbers on some good teams.
0: One hundred percent. Um. as uh, as we had to dip dip into the the transfer portal. Were there any other names of uncommitted players that have your attention right now? Uh, we've got you know the Kamar Wheaton, Ulysses Bentley, J T. Daniels. Anybody else stand out that you've got your eyes on?
1: There's one just from an. It's not a production standpoint or a prospect standpoint, just interest standpoint. Brew McCoy sitting in the transfer portal. Now yes. we all remember Brew. Brew was the five-star out of high school. He was a top 10 player in his class. He was like back and forth between Texas and USC as far as committing, decommitting, going, transferring, blah, 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 all that stuff. He's been in college for, I think, four years, and we've seen him play six games because the only time he played was in 2020 during the COVID-short and packed full season, and he showed some flashes. He caught 21 passes, 236 yards, two touchdowns. Then he got arrested in the offseason, was suspended for the entire 2021 season. Now he's in the portal. I don't know what his situation is with the arrest. I don't know what the situation is with the transfer. But considering all the time that I've had to hear about Brew McCoy and all the attention that's been paid to him throughout his career from his recruitment forward, I would love to see the kid play just to see what we've all the fuss has been about.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you, I had, uh, I, I had a name on my notes. And then as we sat down to record, I realized he had just committed. So congrats to Mel Tucker in Michigan State because you got chips top uncommitted. Uh, former Washington State offensive lineman Brian Green, 6'3, 315 pound, uh graduate transfer with you know three-year career with the Cougars. I I think that is a a boost. He was a, a plus value player on my board. And uh I found out just before we started recording that he has committed. So Congrats, Sparty! You
2: got I'll one. I'll be kind of more than like who's available right now. I'll be curious who comes available after spring practice. Yeah, that to me will be very interesting. Like who you know, quarter battles, position battles, shakeouts, new coaches for you know a full spring. Do they do you buy into what they're selling or not? Are they more aggressive or harder on you than the previous regime? Like there's a lot that goes into that. So I'll be curious when that kind of new uh, wave of transfer portal entries uh, pops up.
0: And yeah, I do like, think that it will be a wave because they've got a May deadline. So it's yeah. like spring practice ends for some of these programs in you know, mid-April or whatever, and then you gotta gotta figure out what's uh, what the future is going to be for the fall.
1: Yeah, because I'm guessing you're going to see a, a few like former highly rated quarterbacks enter the portal because they've just haven't been able to you know crack the top of the depth chart at some of the top schools So there's gonna be some big names i would anticipate do
2: you know the what the do you know what the new trend is i'm sure you guys have seen this because i saw two of them already south carolina and oregon spring off-season workout hype videos mm-hmm. Like I was, I showed it to my South nine-year-old <laughs> one was good. It was man. And they're long. They're like, they're like, basically it's like going back to MTV in the eighties when they yep. actually played music videos. Like it's basically a, mu- a music video with workouts. It They're fun. I so saw the Oregon one. It was interesting because they like kind of featured Kenny Dillingham. They showed him talking and it was weird because he's like, all right, Bo and you hear Bo Nix and just, it's going to be a little shock to the system because you're talking about a guy who started a lot of games at Auburn. Now he's at Oregon. But the hype videos for off-season workouts and the lighting on the South Carolina one was was like a Martin Scorsese film. And they're like in the – it was like watching Platoon because they're doing all these like army like drag on the ground like in mud and it looks like they're going to
1: battle. It was it was pretty epic. It deserves like a cinematography nomination at the Oscars.
2: No, hey. that'll be the new thing at the college football awards. But it's, they should actually do it. ESPN, they, we need more awards, right? I mean, geez, we don't have enough. That should be best, one because it actually does mean a lot to the school. Best editing it. of a hype
1: video. <laughs> <laughs> the the nominees are.
2: I mean, if we put on,
0: if, if we put on all these, uh, these fancy clothes to give out awards every month, we need an off season
2: hype video awards for, you know what uh, we should do. We should come up with our own pre award show for the college football awards that like whatever Thursday that is, we should do a pre show for that one and do some of these <laughs> ones. Cause you could always do like the best TikTok of the year or something like that. Something that's off the radar that we could do locker room fun.
0: celebration video.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah.
0: Best best guest appearance, like guest star, like who <laughs> who? What NFL player came in and gave the best speech that we also got the <laughs> highlights for as a motivation in the team meeting room? Yeah. Oh, Danny, these are these are million dollar ideas. I'm <laughs> very glad that you're bringing them to the Cover Three podcast. Let's go. Coming up on the other side, at some point, Nick Saban will likely retire. We think Mm. what happens at Alabama in the sec and college football in general. We'll get into that and more next. So, um, again, Mike Krzyzewski is about to lead Duke into the NCAA tournament. He has already announced that at the conclusion of the year, it will be his last. And it has, uh, it has been a wild final season. I don't, I don't know how, I don't even know if I care whether Nick Saban's going to be the like retire right away or farewell tour. Maybe maybe that is an interesting side to this, but it brings to light the idea that while one goat is leaving college basketball, we are likely at some point going to be doing the same in college football with Nick Saban retiring as the head coach of Alabama uh, and and Alabama moving on from him. So, there's a lot a lot of different angles that I want to get to to this, but for starters, if Nick Saban were to retire, number one, when would you guess that it would be – I think we brought this up as a little side conversation a couple episodes ago. It's one of the reasons why it definitely was bouncing around. And then number two, what do you think would be the Alabama game plan to replace him?
1: Well, But to the other day, he thinks he's retiring after next season, didn't he? Yeah, I,
0: I, I don't think that.
1: I don't believe that. But maybe Bud will maybe be right. Um I think he's got two more seasons in him at least, probably three, before it really becomes a topic of – because, I mean, the the one thing to remember, like, he's getting older, yes, but, like, that Alabama coaching staff is pretty much filled with head coaches. So – as he gets older, he could take more of like the Bobby Bowden-ish role towards the end of his career where he's more of the figurehead and a lot of the assistants are doing more of the day-to-day grind kind of work thing, and he's just busy being Nick Saban.
0: Nick Saban turns 71 this Halloween. He is 70 years old right now. For the last couple of years, I've said it's like a rolling three-year clock. Like I haven't gotten the sense that we're there yet, but I – I could see it being in the next two to three years. I feel like that's if he coaches to 75, I will be stunned. That's why I do think that we are entering that, that window where
2: it's going to be a little bit interesting. I don't know. I, I look, you know, and haven't spent time with Coach Bowden or just watch what happened with Tom Brady recently, like, you know, retiring, then coming back. That's Cristiano Ronaldo's fault. Yeah. No it's- I thought it was LeBron's with the the fake article that said no, he no, texted no. him.
0: No, he went to go see Cristiano Ronaldo. Cristiano Ronaldo sat in the stands. had a hat trick in that game. And then yeah. like, Cristiano Ronaldo like Cristiano Ronaldo's approach to like health and wellness and the TB12 method are, are kind of they're not the same, but they definitely they're are similar.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think it was him sitting in the stands realizing, oh, this is my life after football. I'm going to have to go watch as a spectator. I don't want to do this. I want to be with the guys on the field. I think that's what it was. But that being aside, so we saw how tough it was and still is for him to give up the game. I think it's going to be tough for Nick Saban. Like, these, it's in your blood, and having worked with a lot of these guys in the TV studio, like, they miss it a lot. Mm. You know, like, I just wonder if he could go and I don't even know if he takes the Bobby Bowden route. I think he thrives. I think a lot of these coaches thrive off the adrenaline, the competition, the winning. Like you know, to to just distance yourself as the goat of all time to compete, keep compiling, you know, uh, national championships. And if you feel like that's why Brady's coming back, I guarantee you he's looking around like I can win the NFC and I can have a chance at another Super Bowl, and my play is still elite. Like I think Saban will. I don't know though. Like, is there, how would the drop off come? You know, like Mm -hmm. I do wonder like if you, so I think he coached, like it wouldn't surprise me if he gets to 75 at all. But what I do think would be something to look for is a major shift in college football, something we've talked about a lot and we don't know exactly what it looks like, but that Saban's like, I don't, I don't, I don't love this anymore. I don't like the direction this is going. Maybe it's, you know, if you said also like maybe Oklahoma, Texas comes to the SEC, that's going to change things dramatically. Payment of players, is that something to look for where he's like, no, nah, I don't want to be a pro coach. I don't want, you know, I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. So one of those kind of shifts philosophically in college football, I think would be something to look for where Saban's like, no, nah, this isn't what I've been used to. This isn't what I want to do. And then maybe he rides off to the game day set. That's the other aspect of this. I the money that's going around in TV networks right now to Troy Aikman and you know others that are out there, you know Herb Street getting the job in mm-hmm. Amazon, like College Game Day might be. You know Corso's getting older; they might back up the truck and say, you know, we're losing some of our relevance. We want to boost this thing back up, kind of re- hit the refresh button. What better way to do it than to go into Nick Saban and saying, "Come be the face of College Game Day." You know, so maybe that's an option too. In a year or two. But again, like this is where I don't know if that brings the satisfaction to Saban that coaching would. But I do all right. So I'll give you one more aspect. I'm yapping a lot. I like it. No I go. do know the impact that his wife has on him. Yes, she might say, she might say, you know what? I want to enjoy you the last, you know, 10, 20 years of your life. I don't get you as much as I would like to. Let's enjoy our family. And then the game day job becomes really attractive because then you're traveling once a week, you have off the rest, you can spend that time with your family. So maybe that's an aspect of it too.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned, he turns 71 on Halloween. But like when you look at Nick Saban, does he strike you as a 70 year old man?
0: The hip surgery is like the beginning of, like, he doesn't play basketball quite like he used to anymore. And, I, and the only reason I know about the hip surgery and bring it up is not that it's a concern, but I found it hilarious two years ago when uh, one of those behind the scenes, mic'd up segments from practice had him telling Devonta Smith that he's got a spring loaded hip that he can shoot out <laughs> off the blocks and, and beat him in a foot race in the first 10 yards or something like that. And just the, Nick Saban deadpanning that he's got a mechanical, robotic, spring loaded hip that's going to give him some extra pep. It's the only reason that I remember that he got some hip surgery.
1: But, but, I mean, it's just what. The- <laughs> The point I make it though is just it's like he doesn't seem like like when you think of a seventy year old coach you think of like an old man on the sidelines and he, like you look at Nick Saban and there's really nothing about him that screams he's a seventy year old man he looks more you know he's just he still got plenty of energy He's still he fired up you could tell like he, yeah. he he is definitely he's still really well. into it like yeah. you would think that this is an era now where this job's got to be more like just stressful and tiring than it's ever been at any other time but it doesn't really seem to be wearing down on him at all the only thing that wears him out is the losses so i feel like as long as alabama's winning he's probably got a few more years now if the if the wheels somehow come off and this is a team that starts losing 3 4 games a season then i think that would expedite the process quickly but i think that would do it from the outside as well
2: Since, so it does wonders for well, your look Keeping that nice head of hair the same color, just magically, not having the full head of gray hair.
0: That's why I, I keep s-
1: wondering when Chip's gonna retire. Well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, right. if you if you check Savin on SEC Media Day versus at yes. the National Championship yes. Game press conference. Yeah. There is an evolution from July <laughs> to January,
2: but it like it does keep him younger looking. Kirk Ferentz looks older. Mac Brown looks significantly older than him. Chip looks older than all of us. You know he's the youngest. Like there is something to the optics of not having a full head of gray hair, and he's. But he also he's spry, like he's in good shape. He does take good care of himself, uh, and it helps to have you know a staff of fifty. <laughs> does all the does all That's, the heavy lifting for you? I was going to
0: say that the the in terms of the stress and in terms of like what you know how much the the job would wear on you the Alabama industrial complex I think it's one of the only jobs that someone could coach at a high level longer 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 uh, into into their age. But if he retires, who do you think is on Alabama's
2: list to call? Do you promote in- Dabo? School? It's Dabo. That's who they've already given the seal of approval to. Ah, uh, that's their next head coach. you guys you guys know that, right?
0: We every time that we've got that surefire replacement, it doesn't happen quite as often. And sometimes the timing doesn't exactly line up perfectly. I mean, you know, Jeff Brom, Louisville, like there's just a, a long list of the alumni go coach at your alma mater that we think is just gonna be a surefire home run and gonna happen. And it doesn't always happen that way. i I could see, they're being in like an internal, pro- like Pete Golding, you yeah. know, like it, the whether it is Nick Saban influenced or whether it is a decision to try and establish some continuity by the athletic department, the taking the Alabama job to the open market would be incredible for just Jimmy Sexton and head coaches everywhere for all of the extensions and raises that would come out of it. But there's also a possibility that like Duke, who's going to have John Shire take over like North Carolina is going to have Hubert Davis take over that. There could be someone on that staff who steps up and I don't know, just would you take it to the open market?
1: I think that if you're Alabama, like Danny said, I think Dabo is a name you go after but I don't think you take it to the open market. I think you might have a list of two or three established coaches who you might gauge their interest on it to see if they want to come take it. And then I think, Chip, you're right. I think I think it's more likely to be an internal promotion than it will be going to get like a Dabo Swinney or an Urban Meyer, whoever the hell you want to throw out as possibility. Or maybe it would be the return of a coordinator who's doing success, having success in another job, whether Ooh, that's dude. like Lane or Sarkeesian or something. But I just I don't think-
0: know. I would, I'm talking about the guy who won the national championship this year.
1: <laughs> What I was saying, you are yeah, I don't, Kirby's Jimmy not leaving Sexton's Georgia. Sexton's
2: gonna be playing these tools. Like, oh my gosh, he's gonna float a couple of those. You know, hey, See, that's Kirby's Kirby's
1: Kirby's got not. no reason to leave Georgia for he's, Alabama, though, because he's already Kirby is a king in Athens. Like, he's, if he's if the you leave Dabo, director. so he's is a, Dabo. You know, he's
0: the President.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's why I don't think Dabo would take it either, because that's the other thing you have to consider. Like, you're replacing Nick Saban. You're not gonna be as good. The fans are going to hold you to the same standard, and the odds that you live up to it are very, very slim. So there's a very good chance you'll be there for a few years before they can you and find somebody else and try to be like, we got to restore Alabama to greatness. It's like, man, you, what you have right now is not normal, and it's not likely that whoever the hell you hired to replace him is going to be able to keep doing it.
2: Uh, is there almost like I would, you do not want to be the guy to follow the guy No, like, ever. and so that's where I wonder if these coaches are like instantly, no, that's not going to be me, but in a couple, in two years when that doesn't work out, then I'll be the hero and make the heroes return the other name. So you guys, the three names I had thought of were Dabo cause it's always mentioned, um, it was Kirby because it's, it's, he was on the staff for so long. But I don't think either one of them would leave. And then Mario Cristobal spent some time on that staff. If he wins at Miami, like I think he would be a name. But two of them played at their universities at mm-hmm. Mar- Miami and at Georgia. Dabo played at Alabama. I, I don't think like, – as much as I kind of – I'm sure you guys can sense some of the sarcasm in the Dabo to Alabama talk. Again, shifting landscape of college football – I, have you guys seen the latest numbers on the ACC payouts compared to the SEC yeah. and acts? Like, if you're a school, like I'd be nervous. The ACC, I am worried about long term. Yep. And if the SEC keeps separating, and you want to win national championships, I mean, I don't, maybe it does look more attractive for Mario or Dabo, even though they have great, you know, ties to their programs for different reasons. To find that job more appealing than they would have three years ago.
0: Some context to what Dan- Danny just said: A study was run recently. Currently, the per-school payouts from the conferences to the universities, uh, the ACC is twenty-five million dollars behind the SEC. The projections are by twenty twenty-nine, seven years down the line, the SEC will have doubled the gap and mm-hmm. be fifty million dollars ahead of the SEC of the ACC by that
2: hundred million per school. In the SEC, fifty, you know, roughly fifty to the ACC schools.
1: Yeah, it is. Like, I, I thought this could be like a topic for a show. We could probably go deeper, dive onto it, like for an episode. But like, it's not a coincidence that the SEC's basketball has improved while the ACC's has suffered, and it's the money because the ACC just does not have the kind of money that the SEC has, and they've been able to invest. In their basketball programs that they just weren't doing before and if you look at the schools and the footprints they're all tend to be fighting for the same recruits and then you look at like duke in north carolina we just talked coach k is retiring roy williams retired after last year that leaves somewhat of a you know question mark kind of power vacuum in what has been the acc's two figurehead basketball schools forever i just yeah i'm with you danny i don't think the, the future for the acc looks great right now in football or basketball
0: We will have that probably for uh, another show. Okay, so what about the rest of the SEC? Does this change the expectations for Jimbo Fisher? Does this, if Brian Kelly is still at LSU when this happens, does that put him on a hot seat or some kind of intense pressure? Because if there is that power vacuum, if it is unlikely that, uh, Nick Saban's replacement is going to be able to win at the same clip and the same level, then there are wins, there are division titles, and there are conference titles that are now more in the realm of possibility for a Texas A&M, uh, for an LSU, for a Florida, uh, Billy Napier, for obviously Georgia to continue to build what it's got in the trophy case. Who do you think ends up starting to feel that heat? Or maybe you don't think it's heat. Who do you think has the best opportunity to take a step forward and raise uh, their level of success as a program?
1: Well, I think the most likely outcome, based on what we know now, is Georgia kind of slides in.
0: And becomes Alabama? Becomes Alabama,
1: yeah, and becomes the most dominant SEC program. But I think that, more than anything, like I do think that while Georgia would be the dominant one, I do think it'd be – I mean, it's already open, really, honestly, when we talk about it. Alabama dominates it, but look at the last three national titles. Three different SEC schools have won. Auburn's won a national title in recent memory. There's been – SEC teams, you know, Florida. But I think it opens it up a little bit more, especially in the West. But I I don't know. It's really going to depend on, like, what Jimbo's doing, how that program's firing at the time. So, yeah.
0: I think that if you're Brian Kelly and you just arrived at LSU and you're 60 years old, then (laughs) you are working, at least or someone around that building is working with the assumption that Brian Kelly has – a two-to-three-year window right now to really ramp things up and that when Saban retires, you hit the button because you're ready to go. That Jimbo Fisher's big contract that he got at Texas A&M and somewhere in in their minds was with the idea that Nick Saban will retire at some point and we want to make sure this thing is humming so we can hit the button and be ready to go. And while divisions are going to go by the wayside when the SEC expands, those are two programs that are going to be very, very um hungry to jump on whatever's available when Saban's gone.
1: Yeah. It's no, it's it's hard to say, honestly.
0: Like I think Nick Saban retiring could get a coach fired within three years of its exit.
2: <laughs> or does it help because they're not winning it every year? <laughs> so then like maybe they don't win at all. Maybe they're getting knocked off by Georgia, but maybe you're getting there more like you're getting to the conference championship game because Alabama isn't. That's a that's a big if too assuming that Alabama falls by the wayside which I think there will be a vacuum there'll be a transition period for Bama that's going to be you know tough to go through I mean it's kind of the cycle that happens but I think a lot of it like I think there's different ways to look at it you know like if somehow Auburn let's say they move, I don't know if Brian Harson figures it out but let's say they come up then I think yeah if they're winning and LSU is not and Texas A&M is not then I think it puts an immense amount of pressure on Jimbo Fisher and, and Brian Kelly, uh, Brian Kelly,
0: who are well compensated to make sure that those programs are at the top of uh, at the top of the conference. Very, very interesting. Uh, We will be back with you on Monday. Back at our regular position of noon Eastern time on Monday. Remember off season noon on Monday, Monday noon Eastern time. Uh, You can make sure that you can watch us live youtube.com slash cover three. One more time for the people in the back. It is is slash cover three brackets. If you win our bracket challenge, you get a $100 Paramount Plus gift card and you get to contribute to the show. You can either jump on or you can just send us topics and we'll bump you to the top of the mailbag to be debated later once you get that W because I know that either Tom or Danny is probably going to win this thing anyway. And then guess what? They get to run a show for an entire day and then all y'all have to deal with it cbssports.com slash cover three brackets come and hang out with us you can follow him on twitter at tom for you can follow him at danny cannell you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much
1: thank you let's
2: go spring break <laughs>